0: Directing is not about coming up with the perfect shot. It's about when you have come up with the perfect shot, you're ready with everything, now the sun's going down, a cloud has come in, the wardrobe's not ready, somebody doesn't like the lines, somebody, and you take all of that, and you say, I had seven shots planned, I'm gonna do five shots, and those are enough to make the scene work. And I realized that when all the other pressures come from every direction, you kind of have to take the holistic view, which is what a director ends up doing. And if you just come up with a perfect shot, there might not be the room for it in the thing you're trying to put it in.
1: Like everybody that we mentioned, like Tarsim, like Mark, like Spike, like David, th- those guys are where they're at because when those surprises come up, they make the best choices to resolve the issues, and that's why their films look the way they do.
0: And action. And action.
2: Welcome to the Art of the Shot podcast. I'm your host Derek Stetler. When I first started this podcast earlier in the year, I told you we'd explore not only cinema and television, but also music videos. So I'm thrilled to share my first episode dedicated to a music video with you, which happens to be about none other than global superstar Lady Gaga's latest and most personal music video for her hit song 911. And I'm happy to say that in this exclusive interview, you'll hear from both the director. And the cinematographer of the video. Tarsem Singh is the acclaimed director of REM's Losing My Religion, for which he won the Best Director and Best Music Video awards at the MTV VMAs when he was only 30. And he built a thriving career directing some of the most iconic commercials of the 90s and early 2000s, before going on to direct The Cell with Jennifer Lopez, The Fall, Immortals, and more. But 911 is his return to music videos after over a quarter century absence and Oscar-nominated Jeff Cronenweth, ASC, is the cinematographer. He's not only a veteran of music videos, having shot for Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Shakira, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, Christina Aguilera, and more, but he's also an in-demand cinematographer for big brands and is most well-known for his long and influential career working with director David Fincher, including the now-iconic films Fight Club and The Social Network our conversation is a rare view into the relationship between a director and cinematographer. You'll hear their mutual respect come shining through in many moments, and you'll get a peek into their process and the trust and creative freedom they share to carry and enhance the vision for the project. There are a few interesting anecdotes we share about Lady Gaga's commitment to her craft and the strength of her abilities as an actress, as well as the experience of shooting this video in 118 degree heat during a global pandemic. And strangely enough, both Tarsem and Jeff have acted as cinematographers for David Fincher, with Tarsem shooting all of the India sequence with Brad Pitt for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. So, naturally, we talk about David Fincher a little bit. But of course, the conversation revolves around the video for 911, and I urge you to take five minutes right now and watch it before you listen any further. As you do, keep in mind that the key to understanding this deeply symbolic video is to realize that every element you see is an abstract, impressionistic expression of an element of the true reality Lady Gaga's character is experiencing in the final moments of the video. And now, please enjoy our conversation. But if you're new, be sure to subscribe here and follow The Art of the Shot on social media for updates and bonus content. The links are in the episode description. So Tarsem and Jeff, welcome to The Art of the Shot podcast. I'm so excited for this.
1: Happy to be here. Same here.
2: Jeff, you're the first guest to be on the show twice, which is kind of cool. Thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful.
1: <laughs> is that because there's a shortage of DPs?
2: <laughs> there is no shortage. I have a list, and I have many things scheduled already. But you have worked on some cool projects that have come out this year, and I had to, I had to have you back. Well, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy to be speaking with you, and and you as well, Tarsem. It's, um, it's actually something quite exciting for me to be finally speaking with you. You know, lately a common question has been, what have you been up to since the pandemic began? But apparently the two of you shot a major music video for Lady Gaga. This video is really interesting and, and it's really something. It's, I mean, it's one thing to create a music video with stunning imagery. Plenty of videos have that, but it's another to have a video actually tell a story. They don't all do that. And, 911 takes it to another level. It's it's visually stunning, right? It tells a story. It's full of symbolism. It has foreshadowing. It has a twist ending. You know, as soon as I finished watching it, I had to rewatch it over again. It practically demands to be viewed again immediately after. Oh, and then on top of that, it was made during uh, quarantine, right? So tell me about this video. How did how did it start?
0: Uh, well, I was sent a song. Uh, I had never heard a Lady Gaga song before, and I have not seen her film. But uh, I haven't done a music video for close to 28 years. And I heard the song, and I think as Jeff knows, I told him I'm pretty bad for directing music videos, that usually the people who do it right will be correct to the music. They will hear the song, they will hear the budget, and then they will tell you what basically they would like to do. I, on the other hand, have about three or four ideas that I walk around with. And then when the right song comes along, I say it clicks or it doesn't. And that's quite not fair to a musician.
2: No, interesting.
0: Right. So you end up with something that, uh, you know, sometimes take two years, sometimes 28 years. So when they sent me the song, the thing that clicked it, there was a classical piece up front that reminded me that one of the ideas that had just recorded long, long ago could fit into this.
2: Wow. What about the classical music part? uh made that click for you uh
0: actually only because it it gave me a book book ending or a book start it gave me a prologue i remembered an idea that i might not have clicked with and might not have even heard the song thinking like oh i don't have an idea for it was that when i heard that i thought okay so it's got a prologue So let me see if that idea of mine will fit. And then it did. And I thought in the end, in the epilogue, I could repeat that classical music. Mm. And then when I talked to Gaga, she said, like, yes, you can have the strings. You can open it up. You can do whatever you want. And then I actually did the thing of going and listening to the album. And I realized there was another piece of classical in there that was much more like penderecky and much more aggressive and more correct to the ending. So I asked her if I could have three songs and actually make it a short film with book endings and just take the middle part to do the music video. And she said yes.
2: Wow, interesting. Okay, well, you you said a lot of interesting things there. I mean, the fact that you haven't heard her music um, at this point is is a surprise for me, especially given- I have now. Yeah, you have now, obviously. About
0: a week ago, my nieces and nephews sent me some stuff and I educated myself on it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, her music is, is certainly something. And it's interesting, I mean, I'm assuming that means you hadn't seen any of her music videos in the past, you know, decade either. I had not. Yeah.
0: But I must say her persona is kind of rather than life. Of it's course. more operatic. Yeah. So Eiko Ishioko, who I'd worked with before, was a really big fan of hers. And she had told me, you know, Do you watch this woman. And I said, uh, I don't know if it's my kind of music. And then just by default, I never did.
2: Mm. Interesting. Well, her music videos have always felt to me like, you know, they, they cover a range, but there's they're different from really anything else out there. And they have this, you know, Lady Gaga uh, imprint on them. And Mm -hmm. I always felt, I mean, I would not have been surprised at all if you told me, oh yeah, you know, this is the third video I directed for Lady Gaga. Because (laughs) her other videos seem to have been, you know, if not inspired by work you did, you know, something that could have come from a mind either like yours or inspired by your work. And then, I mean, the fact that this is your first video in, t- in some 28 years is, is incredible, too, considering the fact that in the 90s, you were one of the most highly sought-after music video directors. You won a Best Video of the Year and Best Music Video Director Award at the VMAs when you were 30. And then there was that huge gap. So Well,
0: music has always kind of been sacrosanct to me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't mind in advertising if somebody came up with an idea that I could kind of like, you know, get into it and give it my visual look. But somehow for music videos, I kind of felt if the song doesn't move my soul, I can't go there. And, and, and the toughest thing in music videos, you kind of have to write this treatment thing, right. which is so absurd for the medium that it is. That whenever I, I tried one time, I think about two years ago, I wrote something and it looked like it was written a special needs child. <laughs> I read it back again and it just went, this is horrendous. If I was me, I would never give me that job. So I just decided I'll stick to what I've always done which is try to get to the person on top of the food chain and say, can we have a conversation and know that I will never write a single word. And that was the problem. And the good thing about this one with COVID mm-hmm. that I literally talked to her and her alone Wow. and just told her what it was. And then she just burst out crying and said, that's the only video it can be. And I went, okay, great. But just know that I can't write a single word. And she was, it's okay. So then the second thing was when I came out here, I got in touch with Jeff and I said, I can't write anything unless you want to read something really stupid. Can you come over in the time of COVID? Mm-hmm. And he came over and we sat outside by the pool to keep all the rules legit, at least for mm-hmm. a little time. Right. <laughs> and I told him the idea and I said, well, this is what it has to be. What do you think? And he just said, I'm all in. And I said, OK, let's go for it.
1: Wow. So well, what he what he's selling himself short on is that he directs from the heart and brings so much passion to it. And this was such a personal song for Lady Gaga that when Tarsim explained his his idea for this song and the story and how layered it was and how remarkably in sync it was with where she was in her life and what she's been thinking, it it it's like a perfect match. It's it's almost made. I don't know how it came about. It's a divine hand that interfered and brought all these parties together.
0: You're quite right that it ended up being so close to her because I usually have an opening enough in the song that I have the parameters of an idea. But when I hear a song or what if somebody tells me what means something to her, I can adapt enough of that, but only if I don't have to write a treatment. If I leave it open enough, I'll hear your problems, I'll hear your insecurities, I'll hear what you think I've gone off at a tangent at. And then I'll, I'll I'll tailor it. I'll make it like a glove mm-hmm. for the song. But if you write a treatment, then kind of people might hold your hand to it like, hey, you said this is what you were going to do. Now do that. And I didn't want to do that. And that's why I've kind of not done music videos. I don't know how other great music video directors do that. But I kind of tend to say I need an open plate. Uh, open canvas, sorry. Open plate for food, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was
2: gonna say that I'm sure you were offered plenty of music video jobs in the in the you know past years, given given your career up until that point.
0: <laughs> I was, but um' I kind of always said, "Please don't introduce me to the musicians because if my idea doesn't fit with what they have, I am the wrong guy, and they'll feel like I don't like the song. And if you meet them it always becomes personal and then they won't like the next indian guy they meet (laughs) so if i can help it i always just say you know send me the song and i will truthfully tell you if it fits my idea or not and it's it's the wrong way to go it's like putting the car you know the the cart ahead of the donkey but i keep saying like i'm sorry but that's the only kind of way i know how to do so it wasn't for that i came close one or two times but then the schedule doesn't work or the idea might be too... No, that's never happened. The few times when I've gone out there, the idea, everybody felt, was on. But somehow the schedule didn't work and that was that.
2: Right. Well, okay, so you have this idea. It's been brewing in you for decades. You're waiting for the right song to come along in order to find something that, that'll that really uh, be served by that vision you have and that you're excited by and that you want to you know work on. And... You hadn't heard her music before. So then how did this connection happen? How did you even get involved? How did you and her meet?
0: I don't know. I think that kind of stuff just happens that occasionally somebody will send me a song and say, this is the person. And 99% of the times, I don't know who the person is. But in this particular case, I know who Lady Gaga is and her persona is larger than life so i just said like i think it's a very little chance that you know like that my idea will fit into that and then i heard the song and i was drooling as jeff will tell you <laughs> but when that happens there's very little mistaking uh, and i kind of the only thing i found common between me and her that i only have two gears it's off or full-on and off or full once on, yeah. full-on then all I have to do is, you know, gather a group of people who I think, you know, uh, understand the passion of this and aren't coming in for any other perspective. And, mm-hmm. and Jeff's job on what he does, it's never about the money, fortunately. I mean, we've lived in the world of advertising and film where you make much better cash than you do in this. So I don't want anybody coming to a music video thinking that that's their ticket to, you know, to food. And that, that I just knew with Jeff would never happen. So my idea was to convince him that uh, that I had the bull by the horns was he coming for the ride
2: right well you guys are both also like at the point in your careers where you're at least I would think you know doing things because of the artistic you know merit and your ability to you know achieve something that that you know you're proud of because the project itself speaks to you
0: I hope so well Jeff has definitely done that we almost worked together as Jeff can tell you about 20 years ago and then I kind of walked from the film, and the film went away. And then me and Jeff kind of thought we'll work in the future sometime. Yeah. I, I've just, I think one of my favorite. I only found out about two weeks ago, by the way, Jeff, that my favorite thing ever lit has been lit by you. No way. I was talking to Mark Romanek, and he told me that Janet Jackson video, which I mean, the song does nothing to me, which is so sad because I just look at that and I go like, oh, I wouldn't have known what to do. And that video that you did, I just thought is the greatest like lighting i have ever seen in anything in color full
1: stop Uh, you're too kind
0: no sir
1: it's Um, true (laughs) well i i can tell you this i mean obviously you 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 nailed it when you talked about we're at a place where we want to do it because we want to make good work and we want to be with people that are surround ourselves with good passionate talented group and so i i have been a fan of tar sims forever and and we've met several we have many many of the same friends and collaborators. So I've met him on several occasions, but it just never worked out that we got a chance to create together. And so, mm. when this came along, I was I was in anyways. But once he sold me the pitch, and you feel the passion, you see the intensity how could i not want to be part of that it's it's, it's an amazing process that he goes through and it, it it's invigorating and it makes you feel like you're uh young and and inspired and and, and the passion and you're driven and it just is like you know f- from days past
2: yeah it felt like it felt like something kind of like um a student project with the naivety.
0: no the I, not at all project. and the <laughs> not passion a student project of a student project
2: yeah, maybe, you know, yes, it felt some somehow it had a vitality to it and a, like a youthful energy of like a vision, um, you know, that is not commonly seen that you would normally associate with, you know, someone, you know, it makes sense because this idea, if it came from you 28 years ago, that was when, you know, you were at that stage in your career. So it's kind of you you've just held on to that energy the whole time. You have a point.
1: Not, a, not only that, it's like he he had the kind of the responsibility of, of not even the responsibility, it just comes with the with the role. But his passion and energy, when you have a crew, a large crew that we had out there, especially because of the COVID restrictions, we, we had a lot of safety personnel out there. And it was so hot and it was such long shoot because of the heat and the smoke. that that his passion drove everybody to keep going. You're inspiring to everybody. And I think, you know, that happens on a set every day, but these were rather extreme conditions.
0: It was just like another cold day in India. It was only 118 Fahrenheit.
1: (laughs) I was fine. I could see people passing out. (laughs) He was the only one that was comfortable.
2: (laughs) Darsem, were you comfortable? Were you fully in your element? I was
0: way fine. I can't take cold. And plus, when you're shooting, the adrenaline... I mean, it's the most addictive drug in the world, and as Austin yep. well said, when you've got the best toy set a man could have, I don't know if anything else is happening. The heat or cold doesn't matter. Right, You're just oh. gearing and looking beyond the tunnel.
2: Yep, you're you're in the moment point, as one would say, completely present. That's that's true. So, Jeff, when you when you were first talking with Tarsem about about the video, and he was expressing the ideas to you completely verbally, not through you know any kind of treatment. Uh, from what I'm gathering, was it all just kind of one conversation, and then everything clicked, and then it was just okay, we're in production mode? Or did you have a bunch of conversations where concepts were discussed, and styles, and references, and images, or you know, kind of what was the process of conceiving the the way that it would actually be visualized?
1: Well, we talked about formats and technical uh, lenses and the, the approach we were going to take but then he made really two fantastic references he said that this needed to the this needed to look like the, uh, two two separate movies right <laughs>
0: you know what jeff i think that was more like sending a pa to get a skyhook which doesn't exist but somehow jeff heard me through you're absolutely right i said two opposite things and Jeff embraced it.
1: No, but I, I totally got what you were saying though. You you made perfect sense though. So.
0: <laughs> I said it's uh Herbert's as I'm sitting in his house, who always shot black and white and classic. I said if Herbert shot colour with the composition of parajanov of which just doesn't exist, Herbert. It's almost never shot color. His stuff is classic looking, and Parajanov stuff is kind of beyond kitsch. So once you embrace that, I did not want it to look wide-angly and cartoony, much as I like Terry Gilliam. I did not want to go into that world. So once that was going to happen, all I had to do was paint the background white so Jeff could control, because that set that we went to was brown. I just painted it white and Jeff took over. He just said, like, you know, made the contrast ratios right and it looks the way it looks.
2: Mm. And I'm sure grading played a role, too.
1: He said that. And then, of course, the second part of the film is the actual realization of what she's been going through. And he simply looked at me while we were scouting and said, this should be Fight Club. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know what i gave up on that one my original first of all i never even had a look for the first part in mind for the 28 years i just thought once i find out who the song is for the idea is that the that the, the fantastical part should not identify with her uh, uh, like the fan base should not be able to figure out what's happening in the end like if this was a person who was very familiar with arthouse films i would have made the first part vegas I would have made it so kitsch and and beyond one particular end that they would have not seen this coming. So when we kind of went into, you know, Filini meets Parajnav and, you know, Khodorovsky, that that audience would not, would see that as this is just Gaga being Gaga and then surprise them. The bad part was I wanted the ending to look like an episode out of Cops. Mm -hmm. The original idea was that it should look so horrible. It should be shot like through their cameras, through their chest. But then when we looked at the locations, no real location, couldn't could, would let us in mm-hmm. they just said you can't go there you can't go there because you can't shoot past 10 o'clock and then i just realized one of the best lit films at night you know is fight club and jeff did it so i said if we have to embrace that let me just go classic in the ending and do it on a back lot
2: yeah i recognized the you know it as a backlot. i mean where was that was that at paramount it's disney disney oh interesting
1: wow the the ranch
2: uh-huh right Well, you know, I'm sure when he told you Fight Club, you were instantly like, okay, we're in my wheelhouse now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is, but you still have Lady Gaga and it's still, uh, you know, it's a different era. So you kind of apply those sensibilities, but make it what it is today. But I mean, he had already led us us down this road. So it was really easy to kind of figure out what visual language to to speak with it. Mm
0: -hmm. Right, right. I follow. and um, To put your mind at rest. I don't do storyboards on music videos. It, it is a bit there, but like even when we did the fall and shot in a 28 countries, I kind of don't do boards unless I have to explain something and I don't have continuity. So two times I did get tripped during the video and both the times it was my fault. But out of 118 things, I think the ratio worked out. So when, when you go there, I remember I called Mark Romanic and he asked he said, can I see the boards before I shot? And I said, I don't do boards. And he said, there's so many things you don't do. Yeah. And I thought, ooh, I might be completely doing this the wrong way. <laughs> but somehow when you get somebody like Jeff that says, you tell me and I feel you're on top of it, your confidence just goes sky high and you go, yeah, I'm going to make it happen.
2: Interesting. Okay. So you don't do treatments. You don't do storyboards. For
0: music videos. I do for commercials.
2: For music videos. Okay. So... I mean, what is it, and Jeff, you know, please, you know, tell me what it's like for you as well. I mean, on set, you have all these elements that have to be captured, and you don't have much time for it, and there isn't a storyboard, and yet, especially on a music video like this, where every detail, you know, there's symbolism, everything seems to have a purpose, and is intentionally, you know, placed, and the the way it's going to be edited is going to actually you know, tell people something and it has to have a a greater purpose. So how does the actual, you know, planning and shooting and, uh, you know, shot structure uh, occur on set? How are you actually determining what you're going to be doing?
1: Well, honestly, I I never felt lost. Um, I, I grasped the story and I knew the song. And we scouted and walked through each setup and where it was going to happen. And there's a certain malleableness to music videos and certainly Tarsim. Like if something works out better or we've gotten to some place too late, then there's some ability to move things. Not always, because sometimes we're locked into rigs and outfits and cast and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's a little bit of room to kind of create things as you go. And so the, the only tough part for me going into it and honestly, I, I think if I had done this video earlier in my career, I probably would have been more nervous or concerned. But now I there, there's a certain fluidity to it and a trust of Tarsim. And he he so eloquently explained the concept that I saw it. So the only thing that was challenging for me is when you deal with someone, um, and and this isn't about Lady Gaga, but her she always is pushing the boundaries with both makeup and style and hair and wardrobe. And some of these changes were massive and took hours. So you lay out your best schedule, but we're outside during the day, during the summer and the sun's moving the whole time. So you you, you're arriving somewhere four or six hours later than you thought you were going to be there. And so you kind of had to have contingency plans to kind of at least some way mitigate the sunlight when it wasn't where it was supposed to be and that was the only really challenging part about it. The rest of it was...
0: It's a a pretty big challenge. (laughs) I must say that Jeff did not blink at it. I mean, we were, I I move very fast in situations like this, but when a child or the musician whose song it is, or an animal is there, you know, you have to cater to that. It is that person's song. We are the outsiders. Mm -hmm. And we would arrive there so late. And it was, I was thinking like, my God, how are we going to make it happen? And I'd look around and Jeff had the whole area in shade. With uh, a light to go for the sun, so I wish I could have stopped and said, like you know, at the right time, we didn't need any of this lighting. Now it's the wrong time, and guess what? Jeffs lit it. Wow. So it was—it went incredibly fast. I never had to turn around because something that I don't change is—I don't do storyboards, but I draw crow's feet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the ground, I have a plan, and I say, this is the angle, this is the angle. I'm not going to come back to this angle. This is it. We'll shoot it out in this angle. And when I turned around. Jeff took that as sacrosanct and had all his lights in place. Hmm. So suddenly as it's going down, there was never any hurrying to panic. I turned around and the big light was there.
2: Wow. So I wouldn't have believed that from my recollection, you know, I can pull up the video and take a look at it now. I would probably actually like to do that. But from my recollection, I don't recall any single shot look you know, it, it all looked like it was during the daytime.
0: That's Jeff. At two words, we lost about two times. We came very close to Sunsetty. Uh-huh. And uh, he had his things in place. Wow. And just, I didn't even, didn't even blink. I just turned around and they were there.
2: Jeff, what does it feel like to play God? Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, it's terrifying. Because... <laughs> 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 uh... Yeah, you know, it's a it's a you don't want to disappoint. And I have so much respect for Tarsim and for Lady Gaga. And you want to be able to accommodate. And there's things that are just forces of God that are out of everybody's control. You know, clouds that come or wardrobe. I mean, some of those outfits she wore were incredibly complicated. And so you you have to take that into the language. That's part of her videos and part of her who she is. And so that's And, and much as that stuff changed things.
0: The great thing was she never did it out of laziness she did it to push herself i mean there's one particular costume where i had complicated situations already by doing a pull out zoom in and dropping this black drape and she ended up wearing this asked me if this was okay and i had one look at it and i just said it's very risky but let's do it she had a gimp suit on that you can kind of die in if suddenly you can't get it off the person in time it's a leather thing and we had 118 degrees oh my! and she showed up in this thing. And once you zip the person up, if they start to asphyxiate, you it, you can't move fast enough to take it off. And she made that decision on the morning with me. Like she would show me one or two things and I would say this or I would say that. And she would go you know, with that and uh, would push herself. So I just say the delays and everything that were there were there for absolutely the right reasons. She never chose the easy way out.
1: No, she really, a trooper, she took the hardest way, the most um, artistic expression she could at every corner, regardless of what the situation was, the heat, my pounding lights into her on top of 118 degrees.
0: And then putting her on a crane and then it, <laughs>
1: making her fly. Yeah, fly, flying her. <laughs> yeah, just nothing. She was like trooper for everything.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: yeah, that, that brings up a shot I'd love to talk about. There's a few of them, actually, but... Um, I wanted to just like talk a little more with you, Jeff, about your, you know, your process of um, like on set without being storyboarded. I imagine there was like room for you to make a bunch of suggestions and contribute your ideas. Was there anything that you did on set that was like unplanned and made it into the final video?
1: I think Tarsem had a really good plan and we kind of knew the areas and the, and the scenes that we were going to, where they were going to take place and how we were going to photograph them. He, he did He did do one thing, that crane shot when they're flying.
0: Mm-hmm. I was really scared of it looking cartoony because I thought when they'll be close enough to me, I'll have to put a wide angle lens to see enough of the background. And I had all these scenarios and I did not want to go wider than a 20 but Jeff built this really elaborate platform that they tied this thing to and, and made it. it was a, I, I've kind of done that about 30 years ago. I did that shot. Once I did it in the fall. I remember it's it. It's so kitschy. It's not right. And in a dream sequence, it can kind of be okay. But to have a person singing in sync and for to make it look classic. I didn't think we could pull it. And then I turned around and saw what they had made. And I just made the crew stop and give them a round of applause. <laughs> I said, you know, like it's hot. And they were given an easier brief. They chose the hard way to make it classic. And then we carried on. Exactly. That was Jeff.
1: No, that was everybody, but <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Jeff's gang. I only hired Jeff. Like they say, hire the best and cry once. <laughs> 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 well,
2: Jeff, that brings up something that I'd... Um... I've never asked before, but I think this is kind of like a perfect scenario to ask it. Um, It has to do with like leadership and the presence of the director on set. Um, How does Tarsem show up in, you kind of already hinted at it, honestly, but how does he show up as a director in order to really get the best from his crew? And, you know, like some directors are you know notoriously just hard to work for and people do it because the work just comes out so good they you know and they want you know they want their jobs but um it feels like Tarsem is not one of those directors so what does he do uh that other directors could learn from
1: He's graceful and elegant and brings this energy and passion and is respectful of everybody on the crew and motivates and, and the ideas unfold and when people listen to what the ideas are or why we're doing things a certain way, it's uh, inspiring and, and nobody has more energy on the set than he does and he's, um, he's very much involved as a, as a group and makes it a family experience that we're all trying to uh, accomplish a goal together.
0: Mm-hmm. I've always felt because of that, I feel like I've always been a very good hack. Because <laughs> everybody who I really love, like Fincher or Spike or any of my friends, they they love, uh, even, even Mark, they love coming up with the idea and they love editing. They hate filming. Yeah, I'm one of those morons that loves filming. So I always think I must be a hack. But you know what? I live for that. I always say I'd rather have a great time shooting and the end result be crap than just basically have a great, like have a horrible time shooting and the end result be good. I'm not this angst written artist. I just love to have a good time because I used to shoot in the middle of it. I should shoot 300 days a year. And I would just say, if you make that experience unpleasant, I got nothing to live for. Right. So just be a hack. It's all easy.
2: Well, if I can rephrase that for you, to me, what you're describing doesn't sound like the definition of a hack. It, found, it, you know, it, it may sound pretentious to say this, but it sounds like the definition of a true artist. No, but not from my you know?
0: heroes. All my heroes I look at, I think like, I wish I could be them. When I hear them talking on the commentary, they sound so eloquent. Then mm-hmm. when you see them filming, they just hate the filming part and everything else is great. So I get like, oh, okay. But this is me and I just, that's what it is.
2: Well, it's interesting, Jeff. I mean, you know, Tarsem just mentioned uh, Fincher being Mm -hmm. one of those directors, and I've heard David say that, you know, on a commentary and in an interview in the past. And then I, um, in my last conversation, I was talking with Brian Osmond, the camera operator on Mindhunter, and Eric Messerschmidt about their, you know, perception of uh, that point, you know, I, I mentioned that specifically and asked them, you know, how do you, you basically, do you think that's true? Is that your experience of David on set? And they were like, no, he he honestly loves it.
1: He does. He doesn't like the frustration that comes with uh, surprises and mistakes and incompetence isn't the right word, but someone that's not giving the same effort that everybody else is or resisting the kind of the creative approach that everyone's taking, then that's frustrating. And, and um, he, you know, he, he's one of those guys that does prescribes to the Hitchcock approach to filmmaking and, and makes as much of the movie in the prep as you possibly can. So you just have to connect the dots on set. As impersonal as that sounds. Of course, it's much more complicated than that. But right. But you try to eliminate any of the mistakes and surprises before you get there. And in- inevitably, there is going to be some. So that's the part that I think becomes frustrating. But at the same time, like everybody that we mentioned, like Tarsim, like Mark, like Spike, like David... Those guys are where they're at because when those surprises come up, they make the best choices to resolve the issues. And that's why their films look the way they do.
0: You know, that that once Fincher said, uh, by the way, the thing that we're forgetting, Fincher is one of the funniest guys you will ever meet. And everybody who doesn't know him, when I tell him, they go like, it does not look like that. And I go, I swear, (laughs) you have to get him separate. He's hilarious. And, and I remember a quote that he said to me, which I think Jeff is right now going towards, was about like 30 years ago when I just come out of school. And I was obsessed that this ex-girlfriend of mine was such a good composer of shots that I felt so horrible that I had to work so hard to get something that was 20% of what she could get up in the morning and just find in a second and click and I kept talking about her, kept talking about her. And the end, Fincher came and said, and he said this statement that stuck with me so much. He said, you and I both know, and I later on thought about that, and I said, no, I did not know that. And it was the news to me. And, and he said, you and I both know that directing is not about coming up with the perfect shot. It's about when you've come up with the perfect shot, you're ready with everything. Now the sun's going down, a cloud has come in, the wardrobe's not ready, somebody doesn't like the lines, and you take all of that and you say, I had seven shots planned, I'm going to do five shots, and those are enough to make the scene work. And when he said that to me, I kind of thought, like, he said, that's what directing is about, and I kind of felt like, no, I did not know that. And the first time I worked with my ex-girlfriend where she was directing, I realized the compositions were nearly not as great. And I realized that when all the other pressures come from every direction, you kind of have to take the holistic view, which is what a director ends up doing. And if you just come up with a perfect shot, there might not be the room for it in the thing you're trying to put it in.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm familiar with that quote, actually, from uh, David. He's he's obviously said it to you in private, but he said it elsewhere as well. And I've experienced it myself. Yes.
1: But But I always look at it like who whoever makes the best creative compromises at the at that moment wins because nothing ever works out perfectly thank god right yeah thank god
0: yeah
2: and it's about i guess the way i would describe it would be a vocabulary so that when things fall down you can find another Thing that'll achieve the effect you want, even though it's not what you originally intended. Yes. Right. And it's like rewording a phrase.
1: And and also not losing perspective, because you're telling a story, and even though you hold a shot to your heart, if it doesn't advance the story, if there's another way of doing it, then then you're serving that story.
2: Right. And Tarsem, is it just like a... Um, kind of like a quality of your character? Or um, what? what are you... What do you do in your life to be able to maintain that kind of um, calm, the composure, and the very quick thinking on set in order to have all the things that you're holding
0: in your head? I don't have much going on. I usually, <laughs> I'm full on or off. Right. So when I binge, I'll watch 15 hours of TV a day for three, four weeks, and then wow. I will just play chess for about 15, 20 hours, 15 hours a day for about two weeks or three weeks, and I'm, I'm very obsessive like that. That's why I've never tried intoxication in any form. So when the song comes and it clicks, I say, you can ask me anything about it. Am I, I know what I want to do and I know what it mm-hmm. needs to look like. You might not like it, but it's deliberate. So it's okay for me to just say, like I say, I have a plan. If you think you have a better plan, then you need to tell me. So you might not like my plan, but believe me, it's there. And, and, and like I said, I, I wish it... It doesn't laziness never comes into it because I keep saying the you know old phrase of uh, then I'm like a prostitute, prostitute in love with this profession. I'd sleep with them for free, but they actually give me money. Last time I did this <laughs> damn thing, I like almost went bankrupt when I made the fall, and I do it in a heartbeat again. This time, actually, somebody else paid me to make my train set have a ball. And I'm thinking, like, what more could you want? And I would say 99.9% of the world of the people would like to do what I do. Right. But the the struggle is usually to get access to that work and let people go away, let the gatekeepers go away and actually get access to the person up there who would just say go for it or don't.
1: And let's also make sure that we know that Tarsim is equally as funny as Fincher, not quite as (laughs) irreverent as David is, or dark with his humor, and very self-evasing in front of everybody. He's so honest that he says what it is, and that's endearing and one of the reasons why everybody wants to pitch in and work work so hard to bring his vision to the screen.
2: Mm. Interesting. Well, um, back to kind of like the origin of it, I just wanted to touch uh, on that one more time with you um, regarding like – what the song meant to you Tarsem when you when you first heard it you had the idea in your head already but how did you experience the song what was your interpretation of it
0: original idea like I said you have to interpret it to make it better to the song Mm -hmm. the original idea that I had I remember I was going to do it for a song called Angel for Massive Attack and I remember talking to one of the members and our schedule never worked and then it went away the idea was that there is an accident and during blood loss, a person has hallucinated what you will see. So usually music videos don't need that license. You just show up somebody, hey, it's a music video, move on. But at the same time, I just thought, let's, let's, let's put it into a, a framework where it makes sense why you went weird. So when I saw this, I think the, there's a thing called Aria which many directors did and Ken Russell, who I'm a big, big fan of, did an episode in it that had this in it. At the same time, when I talked to Mark Romanic, he nailed it even more, where he said, that's basically what I'm doing is a uh, 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 visitor was without the first act. You've just entered into the... And I said, you know what the funny thing is? I was thinking to do the first act. I thought in the beginning, I would show this person and go close to them having an accident and then go to La La Land. And then I kind of felt like, now, let's start abstract. And I think that's a good good way he put it, that it's the visitor was without, without the, the first, first act. act. So the mm. original idea was always about just blood loss hallucination. So when I heard this song and I said 911, and I said, Oh, that sounds like somebody's having, you know, a drug problem. And at the same time, when she told it to me, it meant something completely different and very close to something that happened to my sister recently. Mm. And I realized if a person is not getting the right medication, they're as much removed from reality to certain as somebody who's really high up on drugs. So the idea was that somebody could not get their medication, they've caused an accident, and that's what you've been seeing. But just take out the first part, and just people will think it's gaga being gaga, and then close it in the end. And that's kind of what I picked. And the only thing that was also open was I was thinking, should it be self-inflicted? Was this a person who was trying to commit suicide? And that's why the 911 people are over. And then she explained to me, no 911 is an expression that I used for my medicine. Oh. Like if I don't have my medicine. I, I call it my 9 1. I said, that makes perfect sense. We need to walk away from suicide. It's just you, you're out of medication. And I'll take the first part out. And then I was thinking, in what style should I do the first part? I hadn't figured that out. Should it should be classic. It could be in any film genre. It could be a vagacy, you know, abstract thing. But then I was thinking, my neighbors in Montreal, who I love, are Armenian. And I've always been obsessed with uh, uh, Barajna. And oh yeah, just seeing them, that's I right, thought, he's oh, Armenian. You know yes, and I thought their, their daughters would make a perfect thing into it. And I thought, oh, if they come in, this will be perfect, I'll make it with them. And I had that in mind, and when I pitched it to Gaga, I had about 800 photographs with me when we were Zooming, to see what I might show her, like we could go into this direction. And then she, out of the blue, said, well, there is this person who I kind of like, and his name is Serge." And I said, are you talking about an Armenian director called Parajna? She said yes i said okay then it's sorted i will not show you a single visual reference Mm. because that is the direction that i want to go into and if you are aware and you think that your style goes towards it because i did not know her world the whole stuff that house of gaga makes and everything i could have gone so round so i just said like if you think that that is the right approach just leave it to me i'm not going to show you any references and i literally thumbed through 800 photos in about in a minute, I just went, okay, this, 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 this. And I just threw it away on the floor. And I just said, leave that to me. Are you okay with that? And and, and she said, yes, and there can be no other idea. And then I started punching the air and like being the buffoon. And then suddenly I looked and she was crying. And I kind of realized that like, you know, wake up idiot. This is probably a lot more personal to her than it is to you. So I just sat back down and she said, I'll make it work. And I went, yes, ma'am.
2: Hmm. Wow. It It sounds like this was kind of meant
0: to be in a way huh never believed that in my life though i think you just adjust to it and then everything looks like it was meant to be yeah no evolution does not have a priority it just you got to play the probability game mm, interesting yeah i mean
2: you know that perspective certainly <laughs> has a lot of evidence for it and validity and in the world it's hard to argue against it
1: but when it does line up like it did
2: yeah. You know, then yes. when things like that happen, it's like, geez, you know.
1: Also, you have to allow a little
0: bit of openness that if the other person, you know, like if I had said, no, it has to be suicide, maybe that would have broken the whole thing. I was just open, just saying the whole thing is just uh, imagining a world and then giving a reason for it. What is that word? I don't know. Let me tell you what I think it can be. So
2: Right. Well, the way it, the way it plays out is interesting because it, it starts off in this very kind of, you know, like impressionistic sort of abstract way and people are putting things together and depending on where a viewer's uh, mind is, e- even in the moment when they're watching it or just, you know, where they're at in their life um, or the experiences they've had, they will be following the trajectory of the video and anticipating what's going to happen next in a different way. And then for some people, the ending will be such a revelation. It'll just be so impactful and powerful. And that is, I, th- I think that's what you achieved for probably most viewers.
0: It was, it was very intentional. I just said, what we need to do is look at an accident scene and then wardrobe people who were incredible and the art department, you know, who is phenomenal, Tom Forden and the editor. That I literally just told them that when you're going to do this, I'm going to look at an accident scene and say I'm going to tell you the story what happened there and then everybody has to bring those people into this abstract world that's what I'm going to do so when I said there's an accident somebody's had an airbag so bring me a pillow that guy's banging his head then all those things kind of evolved from that one particular time i would seen an accident of these two girls who had kind of gone crazy on a freeway to Manchester and the police are trying to stop them and they were running into traffic and running away from them and saying things like police police and the police are saying we are the police and the girl said one of the most horrifying lines to me when the police has caught them and they've got her down her sister runs into traffic comes under 17 wheeler is surviving and it's kind of like hallucinating on the side and this girl looks at the cop and says i know you you are not real And that just horrified me where this girl is. So I just said, I take those images and I say, now this is the accident, this is what's happened. Take all those pieces and abstract them. And I was bringing in, that's what I told the wardrobe. Now you go abstract, you think of firemen, you go a particular way. Bystanders are standing and just watching. And somehow the wardrobe people understood that as choir. That's why they look like a choir, but it wasn't given to them. Whereas the firemen were there and then they sent me the wardrobe of the guy banging his head and he was blindfolded. And I had to look at that and I just said like, he's blindfolded for no reason. I don't like that. But wait a minute, do firemen need goggles? to look into sparks, if they're cutting things out, they said. I said, well, blindfold them. And then we can put the glass. But that I came to in about four hours before we started shooting. That's why on the day of the shoot, I forgot to put the goggles on the firemen, And then I had to go and spend the extra money to put them on in post. <laughs> so oh, wow. I just It just slipped my mind. I told them, can they have goggles? They said, yes. But when we were shooting at night, I didn't tell them, put the goggles on the firemen, because you can, as Jeff can tell you, everybody's on top of it, we need to get out of here in an hour, and you've got 18 shots to shoot, and I just forgot to say, put the goggles on the firemen, so that was a screw up that came back, helped with that, so it just had a structure, and then you tell it to everybody, that she's flying, because she's probably dying, and the guys got her on her feet because he's probably tied a tourniquet there. He yanks her down. So all those kind of briefs were open to everybody and mm-hmm. Gaga took that to a different level herself. She, I would explain it to her and she would just go and say well I could have this dress that looks like lungs a hairdress and I went great. She said I could wear this part for that part and she literally was thinking along the way and what helped me Jeff a lot was that we shot as much of it we could in, in 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 sync like what was going in chronology sorry right so the first it. thing second thing third thing except the opening part we wanted to go to new mexico and jeff for no fees was ready to jump on a plane with me but new mexico would not have us so we ended up shooting on a regular beach and just turned the beach white in post production oh. white man magic
1: we drove up to pismo
2: Wow, I wanted to shoot there uh, a few years ago, and and it didn't work out. So I shot at a, <laughs> a beach somewhere else. But I know the dunes there actually pretty well. I uh, I thought this was all shot in White Sands. Wow, hey,
0: work then,
1: Jeff.
2: Beautiful yeah, work.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Interesting. That's a funny point. Um, the only thing that I feel COVID caused us in this, and 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 this is no way a downer or anything. It just was weird not to be able to sit in the in the with the colorist and do it, and it was it, you know you're on a monitor you're distant you're trying to convey messages and tones, um, and not knowing exactly how your monitor matches up with theirs, and so that was my only kind of kind of resentment towards the COVID kind of um, restrictions that we were under.
0: It was and and I must say I thought I was making comments like the kinds that you dreaded from clients where you sent them something really exposed correct and they're watching it in a motel in Albuquerque and saying I think it's too dark and literally I thought I was making that kind of comments because I said like I'm looking at a monitor that's you know so much less collaborated than what the guy's looking at so I had to kind of at a particular point just uh, let it go and just said, whoever Jeff trusts has got my trust. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, yeah, let's talk about the grading a little bit. Who did you work with and, and what was that process like? Because the video has a very clean look. It, it's very rich and has a vibrant color quality. There's like a, a nice kind of depth and separation to Well, that was the kind layers. of
0: coordinated earlier, but the, yeah. the thinking part is all Jeff. But when we were shooting it, I went and had a look at this place, it's brown. And your eye, you know, needs a sorbet. If you, when you go into a telecine room, you keep bringing up the chroma and then you go out after 10 minutes and you come back and then it looks like really colorful. But after some time, your eye will adjust to it. So similarly on a particular shot, I just thought like you can't have everything colorful. You need the sorbet. So I just painted the whole background white. The, the danger of that is that when the sun is hitting on that, everything else needs such a high level of light to get into the right contrast that Jeff just embraced it. And then when it came to the telecine, I'll let Jeff talk.
1: Yeah, I thought it looked really good. And, we, and Dave Hussey is a phenomenal colorist at, at Company 3. But when I look back at it, you know, there's probably some subtle changes that we would have embraced had we been able to sit in and discuss with him. But
2: Yeah, and actually see it all together, mm-hmm. the same thing. Not looking at different images on, or the same images, but, sh- you know, uh, rendered differently on different screens. Yeah, um, what camera did you guys use?
1: We used the uh, Red Monstro, and we used Airy Radiance lenses.
2: And what was the thinking behind wanting to use the Monstro over any of the other cameras and, and sensors and lens combos you know out there right now?
1: We talked about doing something that was large format. We were talking about uh, Tales from the Loop because both Mark is a good friend of both of ours. Mm -hmm. and and that look and trying to bring something in that world so we changed up the glass a little bit and we used the larger format shot in 6k and um you know we wanted to get a lot of saturation a lot of color there was a lot of contrast going on and i my experience the the red has been really good at mitigating the 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 highlights like that when in a white world outside Mm -hmm. and um and I love the color science so it just seemed like a good choice.
2: Mhm. Yeah. Well, the results are hard to argue with. <laughs> it certainly looks just like, you know, top-notch all around. You guys mentioned the location a little bit in terms of Pismo Beach, but uh, and then also the backlot at Disney, but where was the bulk of the, you know, outdoor sequence shot? It wasn't all shot in Pismo
0: Beach, clearly, right? No, no, it's just a, it's a, it's a thing, a ranch near here but you've seen that church i think in west world and uh, once upon a time in america that whole place is the same place oh it is the thing okay. of it was i i had to paint it all white i see because i just wanted the uh, contrast of the clothes to be in front of it and if i could have helped it i didn't want any green anywhere i was going to make the sand dunes everywhere in the back but there's only a finite amount of money and then the floor everything i wanted to be white but then those numbers made it uh, uh, not, not affordable. Then I embraced it and just said, OK, it's got trees around it. I'll make sure that from the dunes when she walks, I introduce the, the greens a little bit. And then none of that requires any money spent on it. We embrace it for what it is. Mm, I follow. Interesting.
2: One of the other things I really wanted to touch on was costumes. And uh, who is the costume designer on this?
0: It's from the House of Gaga. Oh, really? I mean, they were incredible because I've usually always worked with Aiko on fantastical stuff. But yeah. they were so good. And. The kind of scheduling problems I've only seen solved in India and China where you'll go and half a set is built and you're about to shoot the next day and you're going like, what's up with this? And they'll go like, yeah, we'll work it through the night. And then you come back and about 8,000 people are leaving with shovels on their shoulders and the set is there. Hmm. And I kind of like literally the day before she changed the whole things on them because when we were talking, I told her you can do one of two things, what they do in Hindi movie songs. You have the same clothes in every place. You can just layer it or like you go different clothes in every section, and you can't do the other. You can't do like, you know, two, two for two phrases, you have the same thing, because that looks like you ran out of money. Right. She said, I'll change in every one of them. And I just said, but we're shooting tomorrow. She said, yeah, that's fine. And then literally her team just scrambled, and next day went up there. I had all the choices to choose from, and we put those things, and she made it work.
2: Fascinating, because, A lot of the, one of the things that helped me immediately recognize this as you or someone inspired by you was the costumes. They looked like your work with Echo. uh... I
0: know I did tell them you don't need to go there, but at the same time, they go like, hey, we're channeling her. I go, it's okay. I just go like, whatever makes you comfortable, I'm hiring you for you. Right. You know, you want to channel the other person, you're welcome to it, but uh, her team is fantastic.
2: And there's one particular costume that uh, I wanted to ask about. I think it it was the one you were talking about, the the gimp suit. That's the one where it's all like yes. with the painted flowers on it, right?
0: Yes. What? It's very dangerous.
2: What was the like? Obviously, the fact that she kind of you know suffered for her art a little bit in that case. It sounds like you know it was important to have that. It wasn't something that could easily just be you know okay, let's not do this. So why that costume?
0: No, I had two choices there. Well, she had, the, the thing of it was it's actually very risky because I had decided in that particular one to have a black background. Right. So black on black without having a backlight and everything can get pretty dangerous. And while we were getting ready, she showed me, that I, we looked at two options. One was an Alexander McQueen piece that had this incredible spine made of metal. The problem was I needed in this particular one for her to be facing me. And most of the work on that wardrobe went in the back. And I kind of thought like, no, that won't work. I'll risk black and black black on top of black, and I just went, scrambled to Jeff and said, this is what's coming. And he was fine with it and just, you know, shined enough stuff you know, wrapped around so that you could get a definition out of it against the black. Mm. But it was the more risky one because once I realized that she was, her face would not be visible, I decided to shoot it at double the speed. But at, so at the same time, she's doing a sign language that has to sync up with 911. And then she came out there and I did all this. And after we shot it, I knew that she was done in three takes. I sent her back and suddenly realized we had played the wrong part of the song at double speed. And the take that I liked, her hand was against her body. It needed to be separate. And the third thing, I forgot to tell the camera people to shoot double speed because, you know, whenever you assume you make ass out of you and me, as they say, I forgot to tell them that you have to shoot half the speed because I, I just thought if they had the song at double speed, they'll shoot at double. And they hadn't. So then I had to go and post and slow it down. That's why it looks slightly digitized. And at the same time, the take that I liked her hand was against a body. I just uh, cut that from a different take and moved it to the side. And uh, white man magic, what can I say?
2: Interesting. Wow. and why there are certain you know parts of the, of the video where it is in slow motion. What's your thinking behind those areas? Why are they in slow motion?
0: Oh, I see. The photosonic shot. Well, that's inspired by... I didn't show Jeff this, actually. If you want to Google it, take a look at these two sisters. They were two, like, uh, Scandinavian sisters where one lives in a man. They had a breakdown on the Manchester Freeway. And the kind of... Chaos they caused on the freeway by running away from the paramedics, calling the other person, and actually they needed help. And in their world, what were they seeing? I had no clue. So I only said, and whenever you get photosonic, it's always a director thing like, oh my god, I've got a photosonic, I gotta shoot more than one shot. And I just said, no, this is just one shot. It's the one time she gets away from the guy who's trying to give her mouth to mouth. And to her, Probably this is chaos in real life. You know, She's running and biting and kicking people while they're trying to hold her down. But to her, she looks like this massive Maharani walking down with a flowing thing while there's a fire hydrant that's probably, you know, sparkling ribbons and the people are looking elegant. But in reality, it's probably you don't want to see how unelegant the scene is. Right. So I had to take it to the other extreme. And I just said, uh, anything shot at Photosonic makes like, you know, make a person going to toilet look elegant. So if you make something with fabric, it'll look even more elegant.
2: Yeah, with the billowing fabric and the horse, you add a horse in slow motion too. The whole thing is just this graceful moment. He
0: couldn't go through it the last time. Mm-hmm. The guy who we had hired, I only asked for one thing, that he ride a horse, and he couldn't ride a horse. So we had to change the wardrobe, put it on the woman, and I said, ride across and cover your face. So suddenly it's a woman.
2: Wow. Filmmaking is nothing more than uh, problem solving <laughs> sometimes, isn't yes, it?
0: Yes. It's a good problem that keeps you younger, Jeff said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, if it was easy, they would have all been brown I would have just hired relatives. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It was tough and everybody scrambles when you tell them to.
2: Um, in that shot where she's in that suit, and it, there's the black background. There's something written across it. It looks like Sanskrit to me. <laughs> what, what? What is that? What does it say? And why is it there?
0: I'm sure Jeff doesn't know. What happened was when I couldn't get the Armenian girls down, their dad just said there's too much of a war and quarantine and all that going on. I just said to give a little hint that you know this is Armenian inspired. I got a caution tape, you know, when you have an accident scene that's closed off.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah, that's the reference. Okay. So I told
0: them, put the caution tape in the back and write caution in Armenian or write something in Armenian. Uh What I understand is they wrote something like caution or warning, which now has come to mean, some friend of mine just sent me something that has come to mean something absolutely different because there's a lot of people that are convinced that she's a devil worshiper. And then in the end, she's in a church because of Illuminati stuff and everything. I'm saying the poor girl came and came and I just told her to stand here, do this. She did everything the way I wanted. And they're thinking she's worshiping the devil. And now to prove their point, they're saying it says warning on that tape. And a week after that happened, Armenia went to war or is now bombing Azerbaijan. So they said she's in cahoots with the devil and knew a week in advance that this is gonna take place. And I go like, oh, go figure. Wow. <laughs> so it just says caution, like, you know, what, what she would have seen at, at, at her scene.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, they, they can, you know, <laughs> you can make anything fit your narrative. In that case, you hey, were.
0: Nostradamus has the following. So, of course. you Right.
2: Can. Right. Well, in that case, you were just hired to be a, uh, a front for the whole video. And the people yes. who really directed it are the people <laughs> who are also directing the events yeah. of the world. <laughs> i wish uh so interesting how things actually you know like the stories behind how things happen and then how they have like a life of their own after the fact
0: yeah and especially if you leave it abstract you leave it open to interpretation right. and you're inviting this you're there totally enough, inviting uh, what i kept calling uh, there, there are enough easter eggs in there and then people will make their own right and some of them are subconscious coming from me and most of them are manipulated. As Jeff will tell you, we talked about each one of them.
2: Well, are there any other uh, symbols in this video that uh, people either probably didn't pick up on or if they saw them, they just didn't understand them?
0: You tell me. (laughs) Just go and see it enough times and you'll get it. I think everything is just from an accident, how a person perceived it. There's a couple of shrinks that have broken it down that got most of it and then added 10 of his own. I should see that. Yeah, but he's added 10 of his own at least, yeah. So that's okay.
2: What is the black background falling down about?
0: Well, <laughs> well I'm just looking for a cool shot to make. Oh, okay. <laughs> and for me, it was when we go to something like the chorus, I did not want to do coverage. So I tell Jeff, I'm going to do the cliche dolly and zoom out, dolly, dolly out, zoom in. That's two verses gone and I've covered them. So I will just have the whole background going on. And the third one, I did not want to repeat what I'd done. I couldn't think of another shot. And I just said, I'd like to abstract it and put her in limbo and put her in black because she's come close to dying a couple of times and the guys are now coming behind her and putting a plank to start resuscitating her in case her heart goes. And I just said, all that I can work in front of it, but somehow she comes back to life, so I'll just drop the black. Uh So I I was thinking much more abstractly, but I think The Shrink had a more interesting take than I do. Interesting.
2: Well, there's also always like, you know, I think things that are happening subconsciously behind your choices that you're not consciously thinking about yes. and, yeah. you know, you make your choices. He nailed
0: two of them, which I hadn't thought of was why I told them always that the horse rider should be the only person who's not colorful. Mm-hmm. But that was because I was going for White Sands, New Mexico and Georgia Keith look. Right. But he is a black rider, which is very much in the West, you know, grim reaper. And I was, I was very much trying to, in the original thing, I just said, I wanted it to look like the people who you think are helping or hurting are actually trying to help you. Mm-hmm. And the people who you think are telling you, come along and be nice, are actually encouraging you to die. That was the original concept. So when I went out there, I didn't even think why this person was black. And I remember talking about an idea to, of all people, Michael Jackson, about 25 years ago, where I wanted a guy in black to be riding a, a, a buffalo. Because the Indian god of death, Yamdut, rides on a buffalo. And I said, you know, there's enough Grim Reaper references. But somehow, I'd forgotten all of that. So when the shrink is talking about black Grim Reaper, and I said, yeah, I do remember saying he can't have any color. And the art department then brought over some silvery things. And I just said, maybe, but no color. And of course, I'm trying to make him, without articulating Grim Reaper, I must have gone there. Because that's been in the back of my mind in a couple of videos.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Wow. I love it. Just the way things happen is so interesting. It's it's part of the art. It's part of the fun of it, you know, to see what, you know, it's a way of expressing yourself. Right. So when you get to kind of like look on your work after the fact and say, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that, but it works in new ways. Serving my intention, but in ways that I wasn't conscious of.
0: True, very. Only two out of like hundred and twenty things he said. <laughs> the rest of it, <laughs> the rest of it is. I don't do any drugs, and people are always talking about after seeing the cell on what kind of drugs I would have done. I go like, nah, it's just calculated and manipulated, and then there it is.
2: I've I've heard that from other people too. You know, the people that seem to do the most psychedelic work sometimes are the most you know drug averse people I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> I know, I, I, I like it. I, mean, I think I would like to do drugs, but uh, I know that I've had a very addictive personality since I was a child. So I just came up with a number. I said, until my mid 60s, I said, 64. I will never try intoxication in any form. And then somehow in my 20s, I said, I would like to try acid. But in my 90s. But you don't
1: hear about 90-year-old addicts very often. <laughs> no, you don't.
0: Well,
2: because addicts don't make it to 90 years old, and most people no, don't think to that, become an addict time, at that
0: age. You start, you start calling it medication.
2: No, there's that like too. Like
0: my mom, you know, like in her in her 70s, the drugs that she was doing—if you gave them to any teenager, you'd say he had a problem. Mm-hmm. But when they're giving it, prescribing it to her in 70s, and she's watching soap operas. I would ask her what happened in the soap opera. And her take on the soap opera was so amazingly weird and different than what was intended. that <laughs> I just said, like, she's having a trip, let her have it. Well,
2: some people, yeah, some people are, like, just permanently high. You know, they make their own different neurotransmitter cocktail than the rest of us. It happens. Uh, and filmmaking, I would argue, is kind of a drug on its own, and and you both seem to be addicted to that. But uh, adrenaline. It's, yeah. it's an approved drug. <laughs>
0: no doubt. It's-
2: there's a few shots. Um, I was wondering if you could just break down for me how they were uh, achieved. One of them, because it's at the beginning, I figure is probably worth uh, talking about at first, is uh, the, the camera, the rapidly dutching camera, you know, when he's hitting his head on the pillow. How was that just, you know, achieved? What uh, piece of gear did you use and, and how was it done? I just
0: said what I wanted and Jeff made it happen. Uh, so Jeff can answer
2: Yeah, Jeff. Jeff, what'd you do?
1: Uh, we just had the grips rig a pipe, kind of a pipe rail system that had a hinge on it and a counterbalance so that I could manipulate the camera and operate um, at that kind of pace without carrying the whole weight. It was very mechanical. It was very much mimicking his body and it was all in Tar Sim's head. So we just kind of brought it to the screen.
0: The problem was they, they did it as fast as they could and I was shocked on how well they could do it with that arc. I mean, you can do it with a telephone very easily, but with that big camera to do it, it, was very difficult. And then while editing it, I decided that I wanted on double beat. Fortunately, the background is not moving. So I put in a bit of motion blur without telling Jeff and double speeded it.
1: That's mm. awesome.
0: Interesting.
2: <laughs> oh, you didn't know that, Jeff? I didn't.
0: I didn't know. Because he did it as fast as he could. And still, it was on the, the half beat. I wanted it on double beat. Sure.
2: Yeah. Editing plays a huge part in a lot of your work, Sam, And this video is beautifully edited.
0: It's Robert Duffy. He is amazing. And... Oh, he's your editor, he huh? He is. I mean, like, the last time I did a thing with him, the video was the Losing My Religion one. And I remember we went and cut the video. We started at 9 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock, 3 a.m., the next day we were finished. And we kind of were thinking, like, I kind of, this is what I had in mind. I wonder what happened. So then we had 10 days to cut. And then we called the commissioner the next day, saying like, uh, we think like, because we said, we don't know what we're seeing. Let's come back the next day. Then we looked at it and we kind of thought like, it's done. So we kind of said, let's show it to the commissioner and see what she thinks. If she says it's crap, then we got nine days to fix it. And then she came over and I looked at it and she said like, uh, I think it's done, right? And we went, uh, yes. And that was it. And then we sent it to the band. and remember Stripe literally changed one shot. There was the angel with his back towards it. He said, do you have help? A more elegant shot from the front, and that was it. In this particular case, when we came back from San Luis Obispo, when we shot on the beach, in 24 hours, the video was cut. Duffy had cut it. Wow. And we sent it to them, and she did not change a single frame, a single frame. So I called Jeff and I just said, like, either they're going to just scan this thing or it's not going to air, but this is going incredibly well. She has not changed a <laughs> single frame. And he said, no, I think it's great. So Jeff stuck by it and we were getting more and more scared on why the date was getting postponed because I had cut it in, in less than a day. And then we found out that the reason it was getting pushed was that they were trying to be sensitive because our date of ni- was very close to 9-11 and they mm. were trying to stay sensitive to that issue and say release it 10 days after that, but not before, not near it. So that was the delay. Because I was just thinking they're not changing um, anything and they're not airing it. I think they're just going to, like something funky is happening or no. But apparently she did not change. Couldn't you have just friend.
2: contacted them and said, hey, what's going I on? I tried,
0: but you know, people have been known to lie. But <laughs> here they were just saying, no, we love it. We're leaving it exactly what it is. And then somebody told me that you're being sensitive to 911. I said, that makes perfect sense. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And then I stopped yeah, panicking. It does. But
0: I did call Jeff in my panic.
1: No, I I was getting a little concerned, too, because I've been told like three different dates and they kept going away. And I kept looking online like, when is this expected to come out? And um, yeah, it makes perfect sense now.
2: And from the from the moment the first frame was shot until the moment the edit was locked, how long did that take?
0: That would have been a little bit longer because we did uh, we had to wait the weekend to go to the beach. Isn't that right, Jeff?
1: Yeah, we waited Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So three days added to it.
0: What do you mean? What do you mean the moment
2: you, when you waited for the beach?
1: Well, we, we shot a Thursday night. So we had a turnaround issue on Friday. So we waited until the weekend and went up on Monday to shoot the beat footage.
2: I see. Okay. And oh, that other shot that I wanted to ask about was the kind of Fellini-esque, you know, eight and a half shot. I love that. That Was that a conscious reference to that film? Of course. Yep.
0: I mean, nobody, I've been wanting to rip that off for eons. I looked at that and I just said, nobody does a sequence like this opening of, uh, 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 you know, eight and a half. And mm-hmm. that was a shot that always stuck in my head. So I said, I didn't like, want to revisit it. And Jeff and all made that happen with that crane stuff much more elegantly. Originally, I thought should be much, much higher because in the original film, the guy in a helicopter. But then we kind of decided, like, no, actually it made more sense in a closed courtyard that she's in that area. And and Jeff put her on the crane.
2: Mm, I follow. And uh, because this was shot during COVID, and you you mentioned the, you know, a little bit about having a lot of people there for, you know, safety and everything, for uh, which kind of goes, it feels a little counterintuitive having more people on set when, you know, there's something like this going on. But can you just tell me a little bit about the, the experience and the process of um making you know a big project like this during the time of a pandemic
1: well they just had a lot of extra security which was goes hand in hand with somebody an artist so it's so uh prevalent and then um all kinds of protocols because it was still evolving like what was a safe set and what's not and so so there was testing and temperatures and questionnaires and um you know food distribution and separation and uh monitors that would kind of try to stop people from congregating you know especially around monitors which tend tend to do cuz everybody wants to see their whatever their specific category is how it looks and so those were all kind of things that we had to keep in in check and uh, it just it slowed things down a little bit. It's a little more cumbersome, but all in all, everybody dealt with it and, and it worked out fine.
0: We did have a we did have a food scare at one particular point because the person who took the temperature went in where the chef was cooking, and measured the temperature. And, and I could have told you that would be a little bit higher, but when they took the chef out of the tent, it was all fine. But then because it had been a little bit hotter inside the tent, they decided nobody could eat that food, and then everybody was. Famished.
2: Yeah. Oh, no. Yep. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Just a little bit of uh, foresight could have prevented all that.
0: Yeah, but the thing of it was everybody's got their boxes to tick. Yeah, of course. And that person's ticking boxing was, I recorded this earlier, and then the thing of it was that they said that we had to fill in forms before going to the set, and one person in the kitchen had not filled that form. Because of that, uh, everybody had to was compromised, and we had to uh. throw the food away and get different food. And these guys were really hungry.
1: It was an abundance of of caution, which was appropriate.
2: Um, Apart from that, was the schedule significantly impacted by, you know, all these procedures? Did you have to, like, show up to set much earlier and... Did you have much, you know, less shooting time than you normally would have or was it pretty seamless? No,
0: I think it was just it was just more inconvenient than anything else because you're not used to having those things on your face while walking around, you know, like trying to talk to people and then they think you're mumbling and then on top of that, have an Indian accent and may I don't know, it causes a bit of confusion. But I just say it wasn't that difficult. I mean Jeff and all I mean his team is like a such a well oiled machine, I don't think they even talk to each other. They just look at each other and get it done.
1: <laughs> I, I glare at them.
2: <laughs> you glare at them. And all of a sudden a light appears in the corner.
1: Exactly. You know, just some things took a little longer. Meals took longer, Um, people getting hydrated because it was so hot, which would have been its own burden regardless of COVID. And getting in and out of facilities was a little bit more complicated. But all in all, it went went pretty well.
2: Okay. And um, Jeff, the process of lighting that final kind of like uh, tableau, which is really something, it's, you know, I think – I I haven't actually seen a sequence or a shot, at least not recently, that comes to mind that exemplifies the term mise-en-scene more than the ending of this music video. I mean, every detail, every element is like just serving a storytelling purpose. And it all just comes together in like one single shot at the end, in that wide shot. Can you just tell me like a little bit, Jeff, about lighting that? If um If there's like, you know, anything you want to tell about The process of it what you're thinking was behind it maybe if any challenges came up and um and tarsem your process of just like composing it
0: i'd I'd leave it for jeff because what happened there was i told him the last shot makes everything all the penny drops once you realize okay she's been in an accident but the last shot has everything in it so i told him it's one crane shot there will be no coverage and unfortunately as we were getting ready i realized gaga was already ready and because this was the personal thing she was working herself into a real. I could tell that she could not sustain where she was, so I did tell Jeff that, that is, it's got no coverage. We need to jump into her close up immediately after this. So we shot the crane shot first, and I just ex- put everything around as I could and uh, gave it to Jeff, and it was lit. So he he did the magic.
1: Well, he he did a marvelous job of blocking it out because it was the tableau that tells every story, and so we just wanted to make sure that it still had the weight of all the stuff we did in the in, during the day, but was was a different world and was back to her reality, whatever that means. And so we just wanted to make sure that all the players had their moments so that when we went back and introduced them all or reintroduced them all, then we could actually kind of doctor things up if it needed anything. But most of it fell really into place. And we kind of had a few things we kind of had to avoid, you know, like certain signs were certain sizes and certain things were not conducive to downtown that you try to avoid so there were some tricks around making the set look more presentable but all stuff you deal with all the time
0: yeah
2: right i'm just pulling it up right now just so i can look at it again
0: yeah everything's in there but notice the firemen are not wearing glasses because they couldn't afford it in the end <laughs> oh right i think tom Forden is here let me let him in the production designer sure
1: okay sure sure Get a cameo.
2: Oh, that'd be interesting. He was the production designer on this music video, right?
1: He he was. Hi, let me take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this
2: episode, Evidence Cameras. If you're in the Los Angeles area, Evidence Cameras is a fantastic place to get all of your rental gear needs met. They're a tight knit team of working camera professionals, passionate about everything camera related, including helping you create your vision. They strive to go beyond just accommodating your gear list, which I might add they can do no matter what you need. With tons of gear and extensive relationships, they can help you get any piece of equipment you want. Located in Echo Park, just 10 minutes from downtown LA, I highly suggest you check them out for your next project. When the mirror shot kind of like goes to camera and reflects the, the light into it and it flares so beautifully, uh, what light was that? What were you doing to create that effect?
1: Uh, we used a uh, Lico which is a light focusable. Mm-hmm. And then I put a streak filter inside to enhance that.
2: Okay, that makes sense. Because you weren't shooting on anamorphic. No. but It had an anamorphic-like flare. We cheated. Nice, okay. <laughs> just for a little visual, extra literal visual flair, I guess, huh? Exactly. Uh, Tarsem, are you back? I am. You are? Okay. Well, I think you kind of answered the question about uh, just composing that scene. I was going to mention the fact that you know, it was like before that very end shot. It was the definition of coverage. <laughs> you had all these like keyframes, and each one just felt like a new revelation. We did them
0: very, very quickly. I'd say all that stuff after Gaga's close-up. I'd say, I'd say, twenty-five minutes to thirty minutes.
2: Really? Wow, that's incredibly efficient shooting.
0: I I did tell Jeff, and could he just believe me on it? I said, there will be only one direction will we will be latent. in. So you can hide everything out there. I will never look back. There is no other, we're only going down that line. So the few places I knew I wanted to do a dolly move in because I knew the music went and just one was pushing into the guy in the car and one was tilting up from the bicycles and the rest of them were just swish pants. And I think in about 20 minutes uh, we did the complete coverage because everybody was having a kitten by that particular point. <laughs> But we, the the lucky thing is when you don't lie to your DP and pull a ni- and pull a 90 or a 180, those were all looking away from us so it required very little tweaking and Jeff had hidden the things on the side and just moved incredibly quick.
2: Mm, right well, Jeff, you're a total pro so it makes sense that. were you supplementing the uh, lights from the like uh, the police car and the fire truck or was
1: all the we did. C- colored had yeah, okay. a little, little extra? Just to get into the places it normally wouldn't fall to defy kind of logic,
2: right? And and to make like a little more separation and like um, dimensionality, exactly. Well, the whole video is just honestly a work of art. It's uh, it's just it's a stunning piece, and I'm so grateful that I got to speak with you guys both about it. Thank you, sir. My last question, I think, um, if you guys uh, don't mind, would just be about. Um, Lady Gaga's performance. I wanted to just ask about that because it was such an emotional scene. And when I, uh, you know, when it first started happening, it it almost took me out of the video. I was like, wait a minute, what is, what, why, why,
0: what, what's going on? And then it all clicked. Right. It is, that's very true. She is an incredible actress and this is a very personal thing. And it could have gone to hell in a basket that when we were getting ready for that wide shot in the, in the interior where kind of everybody's taking her lines away from her and i wanted her to look at confused. I realized in where she was taking her brain that she's not going to have too many takes. She's going to exhaust herself in no time. So I just turned to Jeff and I said, what we're going to do is just, we were doing the master. And I said, she only has one of the shot and we need to jump. I hate, I usually like to go in slowly, slowly. And so the DP doesn't have to take the lights in and out. But the way Jeff had lit it, it was all in, the, in that particular direction. That after that wipe, we just jumped into her close-up. Mm-hmm. Then she, when she did that, I actually always had the idea that the moment the guy stabs her, she knows that's going to hurt. She just wakes up in the other place. That's what I'd always planned for. But she went. She wouldn't go there. She when we did this, she went into this traumatic state and really started crying. Then I came back the next day when it was done. And I was looking with the editor and I just said, like, oh, man, I wish, you know, because I couldn't afford sound in that place. Sound was in the second location. Mm. And then Bobby, the manager, (laughs) called because I told him about it. He said the behind the scenes people have the sound. I said, really, like good enough? They said, yes. And he sent it to me and I just said, okay, let's milk that moment. So that allowed me to make a cry and then for him to stab her and then allowed me to pull out from her face. And I just elongated that scene and then made her cry on the other end because originally she was just I was just waiting for her to stop crying and I was just going to sink it to the guy, stabs her and she wakes up. Mm-hmm. But the moment she gave that performance, I just said like, I, I think we need to milk it. And you're quite right. People just look at that in the first room and they go like, why the hell? This is supposed to be a pop video, what are you doing? And it might throw people out enough that they won't wait for the resolve. But if you do, there's, there's good candy for you on the other end.
2: I would not have expected, given the way that it played out, that you didn't intend for, you know, for that to happen, not even recording sound. That
0: particular part, I just milked it more. I milked it more. It was just supposed to be a stab, as Jeff will tell you. But she went into a different place. The problem is when people improvise, if they go left and right out from where they're supposed to be. And when she started doing one of the takes, she started to walk around. And I said, you can do whatever you want, but stay in front of that thing. And then she came back in the next take, and I just said, like, no, two is more than enough. We need to, I mean, she, she has only two gears. She'll she'll break down really bad. Mm. And she did it, and then we moved on.
2: And what was your direction for her in that moment, and then on the, you know, in the actual, like, real accident location?
0: Well, we had discussed this earlier with her, and I just told her that basically in the first particular pace, you're kind of hallucinating, and you're going into La La Land and imagining all these fantastical things but somehow kind of like in cuckoo's nest even the nutters know that when they attach the electrodes to your brain y- y- it's gonna hurt that she knows this guy who's going to refrigerate her is going to hurt so you're imagining knives and you just don't want to feel the pain you'd rather stay in this fantasy world mm. so she went into that in the church and when we went in the other place i just said when you wake up you've got to go immediately into like you know you, you realize that you've been putting these blinders on and not letting yourself admit that you caused this accident or you were part of it and that's why she came up with those lines and i told what was hard for her was i told her that the people who are next to her i wanted her lines clean because i thought i'll get one take out of it so i told her i want these people to talk to you but they're not talking to you so it's your close-up so you'll hear me from the side that's the indian accent so i can i can i can go by not jumping on your lines But imagine that they're talking to you and I'm going to mix it up, which is very hard for an actor because, you know, they don't like to act. They like to react. Mm. And I said, they're not going to react to you. They're just going to look at you. But this is what's happening. And it worked like magic because when she got up, she got really frustrated. She was asking them, was anybody dead? Did I get something? And they were not answering anything. They were just looking left and right, not looking at her. And then she went into a tone and started saying things like, you know, why are you, uh, why are you not talking to me? Why are you not this thing? And then she said, are you a figment of my imagination? And I kind of went into a completely different territory. I just said, and I was talking from the side, I said, no, we're not a figment of your imagination, Bet you killed my husband. And I was was acting like the woman whose husband is dead on the side. Mm -hmm. And she completely had a second breakdown right in there, but did not step out of character. And she said a line to me that really freaked me out because I told her that my sister, like about eight months ago had had a breakdown and she when she had gone off a of medication told everybody that i i couldn't come to her help thursday could not my brother can't come to my help because he's been held under the indian ocean by some people and the code is with the person who works with the gym in her gym i have to go to the gym get the code and get the same out from under the ocean so i had told this to kaga when we first talked that that's what happened to my sister so when I talked to Gaga and I said, you're not a figment of your imagination. And you're like, but you killed my husband. She goes, you're not here. You're under the ocean. <laughs> and I was like, wow, oh, she remembered that. Huh. And then in the end, when it was OK, because we just did that one take, I went up to her. I said, you said this line, do you know? And she said, yeah, you told me. And I went like, oh, my God, you can't get anything by this girl. So she has only two gears. You just got to give her that word and then of course it was hard for the poor actors because I told them now the person is not going to talk, say these lines and they had done the stylized version of everything but I had not done that part so suddenly that was supposed to be more realistic and uh, they delivered and we we mixed it up, we made it go on each other because usually if you know that the actors can give you a couple of talks you can let it get muddy, they can talk on top of each other Mm -hmm. but if I thought I've got one take on her and when she's talking, they're saying something else. I won't be to separate it. I I killed it. And fortunately, it, it she delivered.
2: Extraordinary. <laughs> the stories behind things are amazing, and her performances. I'm not sure if you've seen. You said you haven't seen A Star Is Born, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully you'll see it soon because her her performance in that is amazing. I interviewed the uh, camera operator of the film and had a, a great you know, conversation with him about just, like, working with her and everything. She's quite uh, something, and I hope uh, she has, you know, a great career in acting in the future. Everything I've seen from her is amazing.
1: I think she will. She's in such a good, mature place as a performer that I think we have a lot we're going to get to discover and see as she keeps moving forward. I shot her maybe five years ago, six years ago, for her line of perfume, and I noticed a drastic difference in the way that she approaches the camera, herself, her confidence, her demeanor. It's like she's evolved as an artist, and it was really nice to see.
2: She's certainly evolved, and her career has been has thrived for so long. It's kind of a testament to the fact that she is just constantly evolving as an artist. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for the time and for the uh, the amazing work you did on the music video. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Art of the Shot podcast. I'm so grateful to the two of them for sharing the secrets of Lady Gaga's 911 video with us, and I hope you enjoyed. If you're new to the show, please subscribe, and you'll always be notified of new episodes. And while you're here, would you leave a review on Apple Podcasts? The show is only a few months old, and reviews really help new people to discover it. I currently handle every aspect of producing, recording, editing, and promoting the show, so if you'd like to support me further in keeping it more regular, please consider donating directly through the link in the episode's description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the next episode.